Welcome to the Gorilla Pastors Podcast. I'm your host, Josiah. On previous episodes, we have discussed this idea of a broad kingdom imagination, a benevolent orthodoxy, and a diverse praxis, all founded on this concept of subversive presence. And that is what today's episode is all about. On our most recent episodes, we have discussed vocation and rejection, these words that have come up on a regular basis in our discussions of what it is to do guerrilla ministry founded on this subversive presence. But on this episode, we set the stage for future episodes to come by grappling with the idea that we are subverting something with our very presence. My fellow hosts and I will discuss this concept together But in future episodes, we want to share with you what subversive presence looks like in real time by sharing the stories of our fellow pastors, most of which reside here in the Pacific Northwest. This location is crucial as context is everything and paints a picture of why this subversive presence is so crucial to this guerrilla ministry. Join us as we continue to dream about what the church could look like tomorrow if we remain faithful today on the Guerrilla Pastors Podcast. was that Christians could not have conversation with each other if they disagreed with one another. It's all about entering in to the textured presence of lived lives. And so the, the sanitation of it just broke for me. Like, church can't be sanitized. I always feel like I'm not what people think of when they think of a pastor. I went to school for youth ministry and have now figured out how to do like construction work. It's good, good stuff. The church is struggling and declining in ways that we've never experienced in the United States and Canada right now. We have to like allow ourselves to embrace new ways of being in a place. Insurgent revolutions, i.e. guerrilla warfare, is 20% bullets and 80% blessing the people. How do we be eternally faithful? Like literally, like how do we be faithful in a way today that in 20 years, people aren't going, he was evil. Why are we so afraid? We believe that God is at work in all places, in all people, at all times. That is amazing and that should give us hope. We are the Gorilla Pastors. Join us as we explore a world of ministry founded on subversive presence. On our last episode, we stopped our roundtable discussion mid-conversation as Fasani was explaining what he was rejecting and then transitioning into what subversion looks like in light of what he was rejecting. Let's continue right where we left off in our last conversation with Fasani on subversion. For me to subvert is I don't need a a particular target or an individual with a name. All I need is to be honest with a system that promulgates a particular type of unhealthy way of being in the world. For me as a pastor that is you know, daily discovering what faithful leadership looks like, it has become evident that there is an entire system around, an entire cultural uh, 
a, a culture around um, the existence of the church in America that gives it a type of management orientation, a type of bureaucratic sensitivity, and an institutional way of, man, of, of organizing itself that itself constantly promulgates this kind of limited understanding of pastoral leadership. Which means, a, a really way, short way of saying is, the, um, you know, the American experiment gives a, the church all the resources it needs to create pastors that look like CEOs and manage institutions like Fortune 500 companies. A, that doesn't work in a small community. B, it only works if you're wildly successful in those metrics. And C, it ultimately ends the way Fortune 500 companies always end. They either merge and become major conglomerates that span the globe, or they die and a few people walk away with all the money. Right? To subvert that doesn't mean I need somebody's face on my wall that I throw darts at. All it means is to faithfully practice an alternative way of fulfilling sincerely and honestly my unique calling right to me that largely looks like being present with people that are broken being a help being a healing hand with people that are dying and offer creative alternative alternatives that are consistent with my life experience and my unique skill set like it's not some elaborate you know, you know, expose on how I need to script everyone else's new alternative pastoring model. No, I'm not even attempting to create a new model. I'm simply attempting to be faithful to who I truly am. And that looks very subversive because it steps outside of what America has given the church as its only model for leadership. As Ryan shared, I was reminded of the fact that we as pastors can spend so much time discussing the theoretical. As we were busy pontificating the definition of a word, I was struck with the idea that this is more than just a concept, that this is something that has to be lived out. And since stories are powerful ways of conveying truths, I press them each for stories of subversion. And here's what Wardlaw had to say. There was, uh, I think it, it reminds me, there was a story. This is one thing that I was, I'll say I was proud of after being here for about six years. Um, one of the things my buddy David Seaman had said, he was one of the pastors that start, him and his wife started this with me, um, as well as another couple, J Jason, Stephanie Harwood. Um, they, uh, David would say, we will know when we're successful, um, when someone calls us pastor because of the role we play in their lives more than because of the title we hold. So we, and we, so we never say we were pastors uh, in our neighborhood just because there's, because we didn't have a congregation. So it was confusing to people, even people who don't go to church. If you say you're a pastor, they say, Oh, where do you pastor? Uh, a neighborhood. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't work. You know, so we, we stopped calling ourselves pastors. So David would say, well, We'll know we're successful when people call us pastor um, because of uh, because of the role we play in their lives. And, and so it, it was about six and a half years before a buddy of mine texted and said, Hey, pastor, uh, do you want to go out and talk through some stuff I'm dealing with? Um, and and it, it, I had forgotten that David had said that years, years before, you know, and 
it just it like it came back almost immediately when I saw that, and that was one of the first times. That right there, that's subversive pastoring in my mind, um, and that was a win. Um, and you know, uh, that was a very basic win. Just and it didn't. Because. It didn't matter your ordination status or mm. your licensing or your uh, your designation or what building you were assigned to. Right, like none of that mattered. Yeah, yeah. Another time, I'm going to tell one other story. Sorry, and this was uh, this was another win I remember, and it was around the same about six six or seven years in. So I was running a company. Jason Harwood and I were running a company in our neighborhood. Uh, this is how we made our livelihood called Happy Feet. Um, and so we did a preschool age programming with soccer, ran soccer leagues for three to seven year olds and things like that in the neighborhood. And it was kind of our in into the neighborhood and families and and feed, putting food on the table. So, and uh, one of our friends and she had grown up in the church and kind of had a nev- negative experience around the church, but she knew that we were uh, pastors and or in ministry of some sort. Um, again, people just don't really understand the context for it. But she ran into a she ran into someone, um, a friend of hers, at a grocery store, and the friend has a little girl, and they were talking about going to a soccer game, and they were going to a Happy Feet soccer game. Um, And she goes, oh, some friends of ours um, own that. And so this lady, because of the experience of her daughter, just told her friend about how Jason and I's kind of, in the way we run our company, it's just a positive atmosphere for the kids and families. And so my friend comes back to me and she goes, I just love the way you guys do ministry. And this is her language. I love the way you guys do ministry just by being good all around the neighborhood kind of thing is, is what she said. And I was like, again, she's talking into what I'm doing. <laughs> um, and I'm going, that's, that's exactly what we were trying to do from the beginning. How do we, how do we be a, a presence of goodness <laughs> you know, a presence of reconciliation, a presence of, of justice, of, um, of creativity, of environmental care, of all those things, you know, um, how do we be a presence of all those things that are of God in a neighborhood consistently, sometimes subversively? Hmm. Maybe just starting with the soccer camp for three to seven-year-olds, man, that's, that's brilliant. It's beautiful. Fasani also had a story to share, but not his own. The story he shared was one he had heard that he felt perfectly embodied what this idea of subversive presence was all about. I recently heard a story that captures my definition of subversive, and it's about a farm that's on the um, U.S.-Mexico border. And the farm doesn't grow crops uh, as much as it um, uses local materials to build houses. It's sort of a it's a, a building kind of trades farm. I mean, they support themselves with vegetables and fruits and stuff. But um, it's it's farm is in air quotes. Anyhow, they did something. They've done something in the last twenty years that perfectly embodies this concept of subversion or subversive presence. They crossed the border and empowered some of the local um, indigenous Mexicans 
to build um, low-income houses. And that itself is powerful um, to empower indigenous leadership um, to resource themselves and build their own local economy with you know the sweat of their own, off the sweat of their own brow. But that's not the part that's particularly subversive. What they did is when they went to, when they went in after building relationships for a couple of years um, and teaching just basic basic carpentry skill the skills, they realized that the one model for building that all these Mexican locals had was basically to use cement and cinder blocks. Many of us have been on missions trips to Mexico. We know the building material. Well, they realized because the market uh, for cinder blocks was the demand was so high and and cement and concrete was so high that those that that uh, could be manipulated by some of the local governments and could skyrocket the prices and basically, you know, make a killing off of, um, you know, local demand for low income housing. Well, this this farm, this building farm, after building those relationships, realized that there was an infinite amount of local clay in the soil. And in the local fields where they grew wheat, they would harvest the wheat and they would burn them, which is a, an often used practice um, because it puts carbon back into the soil anyhow, and then it's immediately ready to regrow. Well, they realized the stocks of the wheat was available basically 12 months out of the year. And so what they did is they taught the local indigenous Mexicans to build with cob, which is clay, sand, and straw, right? And if it's in a dry environment, a semi-arid environment, it only gains structural integrity more over time. So they, they equipped the local Mexicans to build with outside the, not only the conceptual paradigm, but outside the market paradigm that was unjust. And then they gave them the skill that was perpetually available. Now, here's why that's subversive, right? It's subversive not because that the, the farmers that I read about were picking fights with the local government that were abusing builders, right? I mean, that's rebellious in its own right. But it was subversively faithful because it empowered the local indigenous community to access a free resource essentially to be faithful to the gifts that were in abundance among them, right? So if I define the subversive as finding an, you know, a, a, an adversary and toppling them, that's one thing, but that's not what we're doing. Subversive is merely answering the question, what are the resources immediately available within your reach, in my case, within your congregation's reach, that can be leveraged for wholeness and sustainability? Now that's, that's subversive. There is a famous line from a movie in 1989. The movie was A Field of Dreams and it starred Kevin Costner. And the line was, if you build it, they will come. If you haven't seen the movie, or if like me, you were two years old when it came out and you don't really remember watching it, the concept is simple, albeit a little strange. Essentially, a field with corn in it speaks to Kevin Costner's character to build a baseball field so that the Chicago White Sox players from the 1919 team will come and play in it. And this is exactly what happens. With support from his wife, he builds a baseball field and I guess he plays with his long-dead baseball heroes. And the moral of the story is that dreams come true, however strange they may be. What is even stranger for me is how accurate this same philosophy has been for the evangelical American church as of late. 
If you haven't paid attention, we have spent a couple decades asking questions as to why my generation stopped going, why these big buildings became less and less full, why the Sunday morning stat lines continued to slump, if not completely disappear, when we consider metrics-based counting of butts and pews. Our focus was completely and totally on this build-it-and-they-will-come mentality of doing ministry, while we completely missed the idea that perhaps our young people were choosing to be faithful in a completely different way. Perhaps instead they were choosing subversive presence within their very neighborhoods as a faithful way of being the church instead of simply hanging their hat on going to a church building. It's also the very reason we began this podcast in the first place. We couldn't help but ask ourselves how can we celebrate these stories? As pastors in the Pacific Northwest, we are often written off as being too progressive or too liberal because we don't do things the way, quote unquote, they have always been done. The reality here is that the culture has said the church is no longer meaningful or relevant to its daily life. And that might be more of a reflection on the church than it is on the culture. So instead of waging culture wars about whether or not deconstruction is bad, or wading through the muck and the mire of choosing which side we choose to be on on any given topic, whether it's the latest and greatest critical race theory debate, or this up-and-coming drama unfolding from our Supreme Court justices with the undoing of Roe versus Wade, we simply want to point out the fact that life is complicated, and that we are each on a faith journey trying to be faithful to who God has called us to be, and that looks different from person to person. In the New Testament, Paul himself says that we each play a unique part in the body of Christ. That as the church, as ministers of the gospel, as guerrilla pastors, the way we do ministry won't look exactly the same from one person to the next. And that this is something we should celebrate. So why is it that instead we have spent the last few decades critiquing those who don't do church exactly the way that we do it? Why is it that we have spent so much effort pointing out those who don't pastor the way we think they should pastor? Why is it that we spend so much time creating divisions instead of celebrating the uniqueness that God has given each of us? Our hope is to counteract this critical spirit by celebrating the stories of pastors, primarily in the Pacific Northwest, who are continuing to remain faithful despite the ever-changing world around them. However, we know that we are not unique in our efforts to remain faithful to a vocation that seems to look a little different than it did even 20 years ago. We know that we are not the only ones rejecting this one-size-fits-all institutional norm when it comes to pastoring or being a part of a church. Additionally, we also know that there are many out there who have been subversively present within their neighborhoods remaining faithful who never have gotten the credit they deserve for living out the calling that God has placed on their lives. As Brian said, it might sound weird to say that you are pastoring a neighborhood, but for those present it was clear what his ministry was about, as well as the difference he was making in the place that he lived. So this podcast is for you. While you might spend your time being critiqued for 
deconstructing or changing the way church is done for the worst, we celebrate your faithfulness and we invite you to participate on this journey with us as we continue to discover what it is guerrilla ministry is all about. In closing, I asked my fellow co-hosts what they thought we were inviting you into as podcasters. This is what they had to say. I think we're subversively asking people into it uh, or inviting them into it. This is this. I'll tell you, this is this would be my hope for it. Um, as we talk about our own experiences and learning, and this is all about learning for ourselves um, from the past to the present to hopefully the future and, and what we've learned is my hope is that the pastors out there, both um, vocationally vocational pastors, um, but also lay people who have a heart for God and the kingdom that are discouraged that find that they can't find their place in the institution or the church as we know it today, that just by listening to our journeys and the way that we've learned um, and the way that we're speaking about it will hopefully open up an imagination where you start to find yourself included in the greater vocation of God in us and through us. Um, through all of creation. That's, that would be my hope. I hope there's someone who's discouraged right now who finds hope and finds themselves participating and uh, now and in the future um, and participating not only in the restoration of all things as kingdom language, but also in the learning process of being allowing yourself to be healed um, and you're allowing yourself to, in a more healthy way to 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 be actively involved in the kingdom love it i i think our conversation is merely an invitation to begin discerning how your inner world already is a template for your alternative ministry potential for me that practically looks like this when somebody locally wants to participate in the ministry I do in Whatcom County, Washington, it has now become as part of our first step. Get this. This is the most inefficient commitment I've ever made. And I believe strongly in it. You commit to one year of discernment, right? So you move here. You don't participate three weeks out six weeks out six months out you commit to one year of discernment and here's why because if i don't do that we will rely on old models that we import when you show up and instead we must spend a year of prayerfully considering what your true self and your true gifting brings to the equation that we're creating as a team right the the the, the dynamic the unique dynamic that we're creating as a team. And only then after a year will we be able to faithfully engage what we discover in the needs of the local community, right? So one year of discernment. So I think what we're doing in our conversation is inviting people into a similar discernment process, right? What is your true self? How are you uniquely created? And in there is all the material you need to discern a creative alternative path, or as you might say, a subversive path in ministry moving forward. 
As we continue to invite you to discern what it is that God has called and created you to be, we will be sharing more stories of subversive presence. You will hear more from our previous guest pastors, Sean and Regina, but there will be more stories to come. Our hope is that we will practically share with you what it looks like to embody this broad kingdom imagination and benevolent orthodoxy as we celebrate the diverse praxis of those around us. If you have stories yourself, we would love to hear them as well, as this podcast will not stay in the Pacific Northwest. Our only hope and goal is that we can continue to dream big dreams of what the church could look like tomorrow if today we are bold enough to remain faithful, even if that faithfulness doesn't look like it did yesterday. Albert Einstein famously said that insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. As Grilla pastors, our conviction is to learn from history and to evaluate and adapt so that we can be better ministers of the gospel here and now. To choose to not learn from our past mistakes is to choose to repeat history. While it's nice to reminisce and relive dreams, metaphorically reliving the glory days by building a baseball diamond in the middle of a cornfield, the reality is that the world changes and our efforts to minister to it must adapt as well. Once upon a time, it was as easy as driving the church bus through a neighborhood to pick up children so that you could bring them to Sunday school every week. But today, that might get you arrested. In closing, I leave you with this brief story. As a young lead pastor, my church was situated right next to a famous disc golf course. Almost weekly, I had some of my seasoned saints complain about how these golfers had the audacity to go and play on a Sunday morning instead of coming to our sanctuary to worship. While I occasionally had smart aleck remarks about how they maybe just wanted to enjoy themselves instead on a Sunday morning, one particular conversation got to the heart of the matter. In the midst of ongoing grumbles about choosing to play golf instead of worshiping the creator of the universe, I simply said, what if we instead went to the golf course and served lemonade and simply showed them that we loved them and cared about them? What would it say to them if we were willing to change our Sunday morning routine for the sake of another? As you might imagine, the response I received was a blank stare, which was immediately followed by the Sunday morning worship that day. And I can say that the topic was never brought up ever again. But this question begs answering. What might it look like if we pause our regularly scheduled events for the sake of those around us? What would our life look like if we chose to be subversively present, seeking the betterment of those around us instead of our own institutional advancements? In coming episodes, we will hear the answer to that question in the form of stories. Our hope is that they would broaden our imagination and help us as we continue to discern what it is to be the people God has created us to be. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode. And we ask that you would join us next time on the Gorilla Pastors Podcast. Mm-hmm.